You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We are finishing up our gifted series, and this will be the last portion as we talk about gifted for ministry. And so our hope is that we are able to take these things that we've talked about for the past five weeks, and so that way you'll be able to implement some of these things that are already there so that maybe you kind of have, I don't know, some sort of structure or background of what this looks like, what God is calling you in specifically, what are your gifts, and how you can use it to glorify the kingdom of God. And so we talked about from the very early weeks, talked about what it means to be gifted by grace, and we talked about spiritual gifts, we talked about gifted with talents and for godliness, and today Um, I like to think is kind of the overarching theme that really sums everything up. Gifted for ministry. That means people like you and I. Now, we see many times that there is a cultural shift going on at this very moment. Um, We see that churches are decreasing in tendency. You know, to go to church is not really a popular thing anymore. But then we also see, because of that, um, churches have made a shift in, okay, so how are we going to be able to get people to sit in the pews? How are we going to get people to be able to worship with us each and every Sunday? How about this? We'll, we'll create a service where it's more comfortable for them, so that way they can relax, they can sit in nice, comfy chairs, maybe like what you're sitting in right here, you know, or maybe we'll just sum it all up in one Sunday, so that way they can get their Sunday fix and go about their week serving God. And see, Because we started to do that, we started to do church more than be the church. Am I correct? And so what we're seeing now is we have more dependency on people that stand up front or people that sing or people that preach or people that set up. And then so that way we cater for 90% of the people that come into our church doors each and every Sunday. There's a problem with that, right? Because... Honestly, it's not going to happen from someone like me who's standing up here or someone like John or whatever that may be. It, it has to be at the moment where we realize that we are gifted in a way, all of us, each and one of us, that are gifted to be able to carry out the ministry of God. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that means and how we are going to be able to do that today. We've used this quote before, and this is from a guy named Dan Kimball. I think John actually used it. It comes from a book called Emerging Church. He sums it up really perfectly, so I want to be able to read this for you right now. If we can't live a sacred journey with Christ daily and are not actively drawing others into that journey way outside the worship center or sanctuary or outside of our stained glass um, windows or silk plant ghettos. We can't expect to do anything in an hour on a Saturday, on a Sunday morning, or a Wednesday night. We can't. We just can't expect results to happen if we just gather here, and we just kind of go about our typical Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We, we, we it, it just doesn't work that way. And so, as we leave this place, as we conclude this series. I'm actually going to challenge you to be able to take a step. Maybe it is a step out of your comfort zone, but maybe a step that God is calling you specifically into. Whether you serve here at this church, but I'm also talking about the church at 
large. Now, a little disclaimer about this message, too. This has nothing, absolutely nothing to do to guilt trip you into serving more with us at Thrive. Okay? It has nothing to do with like, oh, we need more help here in this area. It has nothing to do with that, okay? Now, I understand that's important with what we do, but like we're talking about a bigger theme about how God appoints us for ministry and with these different categories. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do your identity with Christ. And John shared this the very first week about what it means to have this by faith through grace thing and this grace thing overtaking your life and knowing that your identity is that and because your identity is in God, in grace, in Christ Jesus, that is what's going to be able to propel you into something more, what God has called you into specifically. And see, um, that is the goal. And so you're going to see in your sermon notes today, there's you know, a bunch of quotes and a bunch of things that we're talking about as far as you know, apostles, shepherds, teachers, and all that stuff. But at the very end of this, and I want you to say this at the very end, or even when you go home, we're giving you um, a, an inventory of what maybe best fits your personal calling, okay? So we want you to be able to apply this and use this in your neighborhoods, at home, in your workplace, in your dorms, in your school, wherever you go, knowing that God has called you into this certain area. Now, you also may be thinking, man, there are some things that I would like to do, but it really stresses me out, okay? And like, to, for instance, uh, for me, um, I know that my strongest gift actually is not teaching. I'm more of like a, a strong evangelist and everything like that. And so to be able to be up here and do this is, is kind of out of my comfort zone. And yes, even God stretches us to do something more. And so we're going to talk about that and what that looks like as well. And the best way to illustrate that is when, when I was um, in high school, they, you know, when, you, when you go into high school, I should say, you take like a... Um, um, a test to see what classes you qualify as you go in for high school. And somehow by the grace of God, well, I don't know if that's by the grace of God, but I qualified for honors math. Don't know why, all right? I, I like math, but like it's, I'm not the greatest at it. And so, but the thing is, I'm really good at filling in bubbles that I have a 25% chance of getting the answer right. And so I think what happened was I filled in too many correct bubbles and they placed me into honors math. All right, and I was really excited about that. I'm like, I'm one of the smart kids, you know. I'm I'm usually like a dumb jock or something like that. And so they they placed me in this class, and, and after the first week, I'm like, uh oh, this is not good. I don't I don't think I can do this. And I was talking to teachers, like, I, I don't get half the stuff that you're saying, and all my classmates are just writing stuff down as if it's it's like super easy for them. And so I had to have like tutors, and 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 needless to say, I passed the class. But what if I were to tell you, um, because I passed that, someone told me, okay, so now you can become an engineer because you did something like that. No, like that would not be best for me. That would stress me out. In the same way, too, we want to be able to target the specific ministry roles that God is calling into you and not to be able to stress you out into something that is going to be very difficult. There's a man named Mike Breen, and he says it best. He says, if we know who God has made us to be, we can't stop trying to be someone we are not and let go of the stress that comes with living that kind of life. Now, we talked about this before in week two about spiritual gifts, and this is going to be much different because today um, it's, we're not talking about spiritual gifts as the ministry itself. Rather, we're, 
we're kind of like the tools of what we're being called into for these specific ministry roles. So I don't want that to get confused because we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where there are spiritual gifts. And I don't know if you read your Bibles. In Romans 12, it talks about spiritual gifts as well. What Paul is doing in these very moments when he's addressing these things like spiritual gifts, he's addressing things that these churches are going through. So for instance, Corinth, they were, they were really struggling with worship. So, you know, Paul's like, all right, this is what worship looks like. And here's the gifts that go along with that. In the book of Romans chapter 12, it, it, there was a lot of segregation going on. There was a, a lot of injustice going on between Jews and Gentiles. So he had to like really clarify that it's okay. This is how you handle this appropriately. And these are the gifts. We're not talking about those specific gifts. We're talking about something larger today. And that's where we open up to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you open up your Bibles there, we're normally in the ESV. Um, and um, you can also find this in the Bible app with the notes. And we start with chapter 4, verse 7, and we're going to skip to 11 to 13. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measures of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But what it says right there, it's given to each one of us. Not to the people that serve in ministry roles. Although I think, well, I know God has appointed people and leaders in our different churches to be able to carry out some of these things. But when we're talking about grace, he's talking about each and every one of us that is sitting here in this room today. So, as I sum up this text right now and get into what the scripture is actually saying, I have a little equation from a math wizard myself that I just shared with you before. And the best way to really sum this thing up and what I'm seeing is this. Grace plus the roles of ministry is going to be able to equal the unity of faith. All right, so let me explain. Just hold on to that. Think of that concept in the back of your head. And in order to really articulate what it means for us to be gifted as a church, we need to understand our identity in Christ, that grace is present, that he gives us these roles in ministry, and then we start seeing results of the unity in faith. And let me clarify this. The, unity, the results are not how many people are sitting in each individual chair in this room. It's more so that the people of God, the church, are gathering together, doing fellowship with one another, and just miraculous things happen, just like how it says in the book of Acts in chapter 2. So that's what we really want to just focus in as we look at these different things. So you see these things like apostles, and you see prophets, you see evangelists, we see pastors, and we see teachers. So what does this actually mean? So to be an apostle, um, from the Greek, apostle means the one who sent out. What we know about apostles, that they're visionaries, um, they're, they're pioneers, they're always pushing, um, sorry if my mic's sounding kind of weird, they're pushing us into new territories, okay? They like planning churches, they like starting stuff, they're entrepreneurs, they like to just get things going, they have lots of ideas. Some biblical examples of this would be the 12 disciples, we have Paul, we have Priscilla and Aquila, and a really good secular type of um, understanding for an apostle would be someone like Steve Jobs, Right? I mean, think about everything that Steve Jobs did 
in order to get Apple to be Apple. From what I've understood, he was always pressing in new ideas, and he annoyed so many different people through that process. But he was always moving forward, thinking of the next biggest, greatest thing, okay? That's what apostles are like. So if you like starting things, if you're an entrepreneur, if you like doing stuff like that, you're probably something like an apostle, okay? And that's what that looks like. What we also know about uh, apostles, sometimes they have an inability to be able to discern different ideas, all right? They have so many good ideas, like Monday they have a great idea on Tuesday, and then because of that, there's so many ideas that are thrown up in the air and they can't really decide and discern what is probably best, all right? Apostles also have a hard time focusing at the task at hand. Um, and then usually what that means is because get, they're, they're really bad at that, people have a hard time working for them. They're like, are you kidding me? You're ridiculous, okay? So maybe some people have those frustrations with you. Maybe you are an apostle, and that may be some of your weaknesses. There's the prophets, okay? The prophets are the ones that hear and listen to God, okay? The prophets foretell and uh, tells us the revelations from God, and, and usually what they do a good job is standing back and listening to what God is actually saying. So good biblical examples of that is um, Anna and Simeon in Luke 2 as they prophesy over infant Jesus. We see Philip's daughters in Acts 21 verse 9, and they're known for that too. A good secular example would be from, just because tis the season of Star Wars, Master Jedi Yoda. You know, I mean, just think of, just think of the lines that he had to say and how much he would listen. And, you know, Luke Skywalker would want to jump to conclusions, and he would say, hmm, you know, listen here. I have a horrible, I, I didn't even practice that, all right? And I don't know why that came out. Like, just, but he would, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll, I'll work on that, you know. Shoot. <laughs> But he would be an excellent example of what a prophet might be, as a prophet listens, um, a prophet hears. Um, they have a good sense of what God is saying. Um, and, but the, here's some negative things. Prophets always think that they're right. Okay? They always think that they're right. And you know what? Um, they usually are right. Okay? But how they handle that is not with the most humility sometimes. How they um, reply back to something is not with a lot of grace because there's this sort of arrogance that is happening because they have been revealed the correct answer. If you have worked with a prophet before and they think that they're always right, it will drive you insane, okay? And so, but there, there's some things that are said that are good things about them, but, you know, there's things that are, are, can be frustrating. But the thing is, they can also be very humble at times, too, because they, they, they're very confident because they know what God is saying, all right? And so those are some things about prophets. Evangelists. Evangelists are the ones, they love to share the good news. They, um, it's something that it's very easy for them to do. Actually, uh, when I've done this before, um, the two things that I score high is evangelist and prophet, okay? I love being with people who are non-Christians. And what happens is, like, that kicks me in the butt sometimes because I'm reminded that I'm not being a part of the body of Christ because I'm like, well, all these people don't know Jesus, so we need to be hanging out with them, and I'm not going to be hanging out with these people because they already know Jesus. So many times, the evangelist, we can be pretty shallow 
with how we phrase things, how we do things, okay? Good biblical examples, that would be Philip in the book of the Bible, you know? Good name, good person, and, and Acts, he did that with the eunuch and everything. You notice what I did there, good. Um, he does that. Um, the, the, a good secular example, we all know Billy from the Kia commercials, right? Oh, man. Yeah, you know, we're, we're moaning and groaning, but he knows how to really connect to people, you know? And guess what? Everyone's buying his cars, you know? And he, he has a certain way. However dorky and cheesy his commercials may be, he gets his point across. He communicates to people, okay? So we see that in a very secular um, setting that politicians, salesmen, and even people like Billy would be a great evangelist, okay? I hope he knows the Lord and loves him, but... Um, he would be a great example, and he did not pay me to say that today. So, But here's the thing. Like I said, when you are an evangelist, you, the problem is you may have a reductionist gospel. Right? You may water down things in order to get people in. And then here's the other issue, too, is once people get in the door, we have a hard time connecting with them, discipling them, because we need to move on to the next person. Because one thing that we know about, you know, if we're maturing in the faith, it's, it's just not always just like that. You know, you need to be able to walk beside people and show them what, it like, what it's like to be a follower of Christ, right? And that's very hard for evangelists to do because we're moving on to the next person and the next person after that. There's shepherds, there's pastors, all right? Uh, shepherds are God's people, and what they really do a good job is caring for people. Uh, caring for tender heart, they're, they're great at visiting people when they're sick, standing beside them. So they're the opposite of evangelists because, you know, they're, they're going to stand next to them the whole way through, hold their hand, and make sure everything is all right. They, they comfort, they take care. Okay, good examples of this would be Barnabas. He clearly demonstrates that when he fends Mark, all right? Um, a good secular example of this would probably be someone like Mother Teresa. And you notice how I didn't say, like, a famous pastor who speaks a fun. No. When we, we talk about pastors, we talk about people who really tend and care for the flock. And if we know, if you've looked at anything about Great Mother Teresa, she would do anything for people who were living in dumpsters in, in Calcutta and everything. And so she would demonstrate what it meant to be that type of example as a pastor. Okay? Now, the problem with pastors sometimes... Um, is sometimes they, they're staying around too long. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to really challenge people into something more because they're going to be standing beside those people throughout the process, holding their hand, but they're not going to really challenge them to take that next step or that act of faith. You know, maybe they're really struggling with the sin, and, you know, and they're just like, well, you know, I'm going to be with you the whole way through, and they, they, they don't do anything that's going to really help them with their faith walk. So that can be a problem with pastors. There's teachers, okay? This is what we know about teachers. Um, they hold truth. They're excited to be able to share these kind of things. They, they study a lot. They know um, they, they want to craft their message so that way it communicates to people and resonates with them very well. Some good examples of that would be Apollos in Acts 18. Um, good secular examples of a teacher. Um, Ann Sullivan, we know who Ann Sullivan is, right? She was the teacher for Helen Keller. And uh, what she did was extraordinary because she 
did everything that she could so that Helen Keller would be able to learn effectively. And so it wasn't just doing the normal things, but she would go above and beyond. And that's what teachers like to do. See, the thing is that the problem with teachers sometimes, they have this profound love with Scripture. And, and sometimes, like, they, they, they get so immersed into the, the Scripture and in the readings and the teachings, and then they almost forget about the whole God thing whatsoever. Okay? So that's very hard sometimes for teachers to be able to figure these things out, to be able to challenge people in a way that maybe someone like a pastor would not be able to. Okay? So we have all these things, all right? As we read Ephesians, all these things have been given to us, and these roles have been given to us, so that way, what it says in this, so that we can attain unity with the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. And so, the thing is, if we were all prophets, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. You know, I, for me, I would love to be someone who is like that, that big shot guy, the big ideas, you know, the CEO, you know, the Steve Jobs kind of like, I idolize stuff like that, all right? But what I'm learning more and more as I learn more about my identity in Christ and what grace is doing in my life, that's, that's not me, and that's okay, if we were all evangelists, we'd all be shallow just like me, you know, just moving on to the next person and having a hard time walking beside people as they, you know, they, they walk into the faith. We can't all be the same people. Now, Jesus is the only person that can really demonstrate this as a prophet, as a teacher, as a pastor, as a shepherd, all these different things. But for us, we don't really have all these types of gifts. We don't really demonstrate these roles. So it's really important for us not to be able to idolize what we want to be, but be comfortable with our identity in Christ and who God has created us to be. Okay? And so, but you're saying, okay, after, like, say, for instance, today, you'll, you'll, you'll go in the Bible app and you'll click this link and you'll do the test. And let's just say you find out um, that you are a shepherd. Like, all right, now I'm doing shepherd stuff only. This, this is what I'm called to. This is what Jesus says. I'm to care for people, to tend to their needs. And uh, I know my place at Thrive Community Church, so wherever there's a need for that, I'm doing that. All that other stuff, like talking to people outside of church and, and sharing to them about the love of Christ and everything, I'm going to leave that to the evangelist, okay? No, that doesn't work that way. You see, if you look at this, this verse right here, it's talking about maturing us into manhood, into womanhood, into being a disciple of Christ. So I have been experiencing that even though, let's just say I'm more prophetic and more, you know, I'm an evangelist and everything, God is also stretching me doing things that I'm not usually comfortable in doing. So for instance, if I'm such an evangelist, right, and I need to learn more what it's like to be a pastor, to be loving, to be caring, to, to really, instead of moving on to the next person, I need to be able to walk beside them. And God is going to be able to take you through these different seasons of your life and share with you what that means and what that looks like. But then really what it's going to come back to, he's not going to take away your primary um, 
primary gift that he's giving you, this primary role, it's just going to point you back to who you really are and your identity in Christ. And so sometimes that's really hard, and, and it's very difficult because it's like we would rather point the finger and blame things on other people rather than point the finger back at ourselves. And, and again, that's, it's not easy. And so what we would like for you to do today is to be able, and not do it right now, but to be able to take maybe this spiritual inventory test, or maybe you already know who you are, okay? But take this back to your homes. Take this back to your husbands, to your wives, to your children, to your dorm mates, to your classmates, to your friends. Maybe you need to start having some tough conversations with them and asking people, hey, what do you think of me, and what are my strengths, and what are my weaknesses? You know, um, and, and maybe even if they're your secular friends and they don't know anything about Jesus, they're still going to give you an honest opinion, okay? And asking those questions. And then even maybe taking this specific spiritual ministry um, inventory um, quiz thing, all right? And you, you, you look at that, and then you, what will happen is they'll give you all of the, I think it's 75 questions, and they'll give you all the results and everything. And, and John does a good job with this by saying, you know, it doesn't mean that's, truly who you are. It just kind of gives you a better gauge and idea of where you may be at, okay? And, and just having these conversations and then also realizing what God is calling you into. And also, maybe there's some things that you've been idolizing all along because you want to be more like that woman or that man, you know, because if you were like them, then you would be a little bit happier. You'd be more fulfilled. Again, I've struggled with idolizing different people from time and time again, wanting to be more like them, but forgetting my identity in Christ and what God has truly called me into. So what would that look like if you had that conversation? And then here's the next challenge, okay? We want you to just email us back, all right? The, you know, the info at Thrive or just one of us. So that way there's some accountability. And it's not really for us to say, okay, we got these people who are pastors and these people are evangelists. Now we can strategize and send them out and boom, we're going to have a bigger church. No, that's not what this is all about. We want you to be able to take the time to really think about this, to take the time to really understand what is your spiritual role? How are you gifted for ministry? And what does that look like? What is God calling you into that may be so uncomfortable but you need to get out of your comfort. That's hard. And I realize that this particular message has a lot of challenge, and you're not probably hearing any gospel whatsoever. I hope you heard the gospel right from the beginning, knowing that your identity is in Christ and grace has been given to you. But like sometimes that's, that can be very challenging. If we want to be a church like it says in Corinthians, where there is unity, just like the equation we were talking about before, we need to be able to challenge ourselves for something like this, to be able to understand our identity and what that looks like us as a church, rather than being consumed by culture that says, you know, the people that do it are the pastors and the people that stand up front. I would rather be a church where I'm holding your hands and we're standing hand by hand, by hand next to each other, doing ministry with one another, 
for the kingdom of God, for this college campus, for this community, for this state, and even in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we conclude,